Welcome back to Bible Time. We are in 1 Thessalonians, wrapping up chapter 1 today, Lord willing. Uh, We want to look specifically at, um, just back up just a little bit and look at this phrase in verse 9, to serve the living and true God. And we'll read these two verses, 9 and 10. For they themselves show of us what what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And that's our focus today, to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Father, in Jesus' name, help us to serve the living and true God. (coughs) Lord, please continue to deal with our hearts about the idols that we have, Lord, that we don't even know about. And help us, Lord, to have a heart of to ready to serve you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Now, the church of Thessalonica, as we have observed, was a church born in trouble with only three weeks of instruction from the, the Apostle Paul. And yet they became in samples there in verse 7 to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. And according to Paul, here by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, um, from them sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread, abo- spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Now, the extreme growth and rapid maturity of this church can only be explained by the power of God and the Holy Ghost and the much assurance that came in verse 5. We've looked at that. They lived and they walked and they worked in a practical daily application of their position in Christ, in the Lord Jesus Christ and in God the Father. We've looked at all that before. But this church in Thessalonica had um, boots to their faith, and that's why their faith was sounded out in all Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Their reputation had gone far beyond the practical reach of their church. And it was beyond, it was way beyond just getting people to come to church. This was an effect that was felt upon the entire region. And this successful church should be, um, should be a, one of our chief examples as we think about what we want our churches to be, because we want our churches to affect this world for Christ. We want to be um, candles set upon a candlestick and not hidden under a bushel. We want to be cities set on a hill and not hidden. Excuse me. <clears throat> and this Thessalonican church had found their place um, in the world as a city set on a hill with only a few short weeks of instruction from the Apostle Paul. And I believe that this here, um, not, not only the turning from idols, but this phrase that we're going to look at today is going to show us the boots that they had of the Thessalonian church, the boots that where it got down to the rubber had to meet the road to get something done, to go forward for Christ. They had a servant's heart. They turned from God. They turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. We told a missionary story yesterday used up a lot of our time, but it was a important story. It was, it's a life-changing story. Um, one of the most astounding missionary stories I've ever read in my life. And that story shook my faith. It, sh- it made me to dig deeper in the Bible and dig deeper in the Scripture to find out how these things could be true. To try Because I, I knew already that the China Inland Mission was a very powerful mission in, the, in that era, especially but, um, in that time frame around 19 1900 to 1940s 
It was a very powerful mission. It was walking in the footsteps of Christ, walking in the power of the Holy Ghost, and turning many souls to Christ, doing it selflessly and sacrificially. The China Inland Mission carried forward the martyr blood of the New Testament church, as many of the missionaries spilled their blood, giving the gospel of Jesus Christ to people that did not even want them to come, and yet found the victory, um, even in their blood, from the blood spread up churches all across China, and the China Inland Mission had a great and powerful effect for Jesus Christ. So having known that already and knowing the reputation of the people and of the missionaries that had related that story, I could not doubt the veracity of the story, but I did not have a con- a biblical context to understand that missionary story the first time I read it. And it caused me to do a deep search of the scriptures and a deep search in my own heart to see uh, the, the reality of these false Jesuses and the power of this false gospel that's gone out and to understand, open my understanding to the demonic power behind the false Jesuses. Now this demonic power is actually has been at work in America for a long time and I don't want to get off on that much today. We're looking at um, the concept of serving the living and true God and we spent a lot of time there already so we're going to move on. <coughs> Excuse me. So this here, where they turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, shows that not only did they turn from the idols, but they began to serve. I I started to talk about this yesterday, and we moved to I moved right past it without completing the thought. But if you move, if you turn to God from idols, and you do not begin to exert to, to put all of your energy, all of your heart, mind, soul, and your strength into serving the living and true God, then you will simply sub substitute religious idols for your pagan idols. Do you hear me today? People are wired to serve. People are wired. They are built. They are made to worship a greater spiritual being. God designed humankind to not only need communion with God, but to de- and to desire communion with God, but also to serve the living and true God. We are made to follow the orders of God and to work for God. When God created Adam in the perfect garden of Eden, there was no sin, there were no thorns, there were no thistles. The ground would bring forth abundantly. We don't even understand or comprehend how Adam's job was done because... Adam was not only, as the word of God says, um, he was naked and unashamed, and we think of that nakedness in a sensual way because we are fallen creatures, but Adam was not fallen, and he walked with God every day, and and there's reason from Scripture to believe that if you saw Adam, that he would be a bright and shining um, man who's, who the glory of God would reflect from in such a way that you would cover your face and not even want to look at him. And you can get that from studying Moses when he came down from Mount Sinai, having been in the presence of God and only seen the hinder parts of God's glory. Adam walked with God every day. He was not naked in a sensual sense. This wasn't a nudist colony out there in a garden somewhere with a couple hippies smoking their pot. Um, Adam and Eve is is not as it is depicted in artwork. Artwork is often perverted regarding Adam and Eve. By the way, did you know, we'll throw this in for free, the Bible says that there's a curse on anyone who looks on the nakedness of his mother. 
and Adam and Eve. Eve is the mother of all living. Adam is the father of all living. You better watch it before you go looking at depictions of Adam and Eve naked. You'll bring a curse on your family and a curse on your own self. God hates that stuff. It's perverted. Those are your mom and dad. They go back far enough that they would be called great, 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 great something grandparents, but they are your mom and dad, and you better not be looking at them naked. The Bible says they were naked but unashamed. And there in the Garden of Eden, they were clothed not with physical clothing, but with the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God enveloped them as they worked in that garden. Now, how much work can you get done in a garden with no clothes and no tools? This was a different kind of work. It was a, I don't understand it all. I can only kind of guess at it, and I don't want to waste a bunch of time on that and waste your time on that. But the Word of God does talk about the power of the Word. Jesus said to um, the disciples, If you say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the midst of the sea, it shall be done. He says, If you say to that tree um, to be rooted up and cast into the sea, it shall be done. And based on that and other scriptures, I can just give the a, a basic idea that most of Adam's work had to do with the power and the authority to command the garden to be what he wanted it to be. And that's a different kind of work. That's a pretty awesome kind of work. What do you think about that? Huh? How would you like to garden with the command? To be able to walk through the garden and command it to be what you want it to be. But in any case, we don't want to go off too far on that. I, I gave you some scripture there. Don't let your mind go completely crazy with that. Stick to scripture. Keep your mind disciplined. Uh, they had a work to do in the garden, and Adam served the true and the living God in the Garden of Eden in a utopian society. Um, the uh, way beyond utopian. I shouldn't even really use that word. That word comes from a Greek philosopher, and that Greek philosopher's idea of utopia was where everybody's naked, and he gets to do whatever dirty things he gets to do to whoever he wants it to, and he gets to look with lust at your sons and your daughters, and gets to do all kinds of perversions and have no sickness and no consequences because nobody has to work. Utopian society and philosophy and in humanism and in this world involves a freedom from service. Utopian society in the mind of the humanist is a place where nobody has to work hard, where nobody has to serve anybody, where everybody is their own God and fulfills all of the lust of their own flesh. Um, uninhibited, unabated, a utopian society to the humanist. Ultimately, well, they describe everybody working together. They prove by the fact that as soon as they're the leaders, they don't work a day. They prove that the reality of their utopian society is a nonstop party and a feast and a and what the what we would call an orgy, an act of total group immorality. That's the humanist utopia that they are trying to make, and they're proving it here in America because every stride they make towards utopia ends in more nakedness, more partying, more drunkenness, more godlessness, more blasphemy, more hatred of God, more bloodshed, more violence, more murder of innocent people, more illegal sex trade. The harder and the further humanism gets in this country, the further the illegal sex trade gets, the stealing of persons. They talk about the oppressions of slavery. A lot of um, humanists will use slavery to try and 
um, leverage themselves with other minorities, especially the black population, and they remind the black population of the horrors of slavery, and then they put them under the yoke of a worse slavery than, than they ever experienced under the slave traders of old that would drag them across from Africa. They put them under the yoke and the bondage of sin in the service of the devil, and they offer their children up upon the idols of Moloch and murder them by the droves and by the millions. Planned Parenthood, by the way, is one of the most racist organizations that has ever been has ever come into existence their founding mothers were rebels against god and rebels against man and their and their stated goal in organizing planned parenthood and organizing what it would become was to eliminate black people and asian people these humanists are wicked vile genocidal people they do not love you, and they are lying to you. Get away from them. Get, it old, get back to the Bible and the ways of God. And that was kind of a rabbit trail, too. we got to get back on track. Service. The humanists don't like work at all. And they, their utopian society is a society free from hard labor, free from the sweat of the brow. Now, when God created Adam, there was no sweat of the brow. There were no thorns. There was no difficulty in doing the work. And the work was a blessing, and someday it will be that way again. Um, in the meantime, the Thessalonian church here turned from their idols to serve the living God. Man has a need to serve someone, to worship someone. Man has a need in his innermost being to work. A man that does not work is going to have severe um, mental issues. He's going to have severe psychological, if you will, problems. Um, a lot of the problems that people go to psychologists for today could be fixed if you would take them off the psychologist's couch and put a hoe in their hand and send them out to the garden and make them hoe a row for four hours a day. And most of their problems would disappear like that, even, even without finding Christ who can give them the peace that no one else can give them. They still would need Christ and they still would need to be saved. But God has put something in man that man needs to work. Work for man is one of the greatest therapies that man can possibly have. Work is a good thing. Um, work is given by God. Now the the, the problems that come with work and the difficulties and the pain and the suffering, that's part of the curse. But work in and of itself is a good thing. The Thessalonian church not only turned from their idols, they served the living God. And if you turn from your idols, but you do not idolize Jesus Christ, the word of God then you will turn to other religious idols. Some people would say, um, because I believe the King James Bible is the word of God, the, the people will come out here and say, oh, you worship that Bible. You worship that Bible. Well, the way that they're saying it, they're not, tr they're not right. Okay, They're using that as an accusation uh, that I'm holding up a piece of book and that I'm praying to a, a piece of paper and a, pa a printed page. And that's not true. But the Bible is bigger than a book and it's bigger than a printed page. The Bible is the Word of God. And the Word of God is how we know Jesus Christ. This is how our hands handle Him. This is how our eyes see Him. And in that sense, I do worship this book. And in that sense, this book is 
my idol, so to speak, not the actual paper and page, but what the word is that it contains within these, within that leather and within those papers, the very words of God are in there. And I worship and serve God by giving God my time and my attention and my resources in obedience to this word of God. And if you do anything else, you will end up supplementing some other idols, often religious idols. You might substitute your church attendance idol. You might substitute your I help with Awana's idol. You might substitute your VBS idol. You might substitute in there your communion idol and and your um, baptism idol, your bus ministry idol. You can make an idol out of your ministry. You can substitute your preacher idol where you make an idol out of your preaching and you make an idol out of your service and you get up there in your suit or, or in your blue jeans or whatever suits you and you get up there to preach, and that exercise is no longer a service to Jesus Christ. That exercise is a service to your own religiosity and a salve to your conscience, and it's designed and by the devil now to keep you from following Christ, and now you're using your preaching as your idol, and it becomes reverse humanism where you say you're worshiping Jesus Christ, but the whole time you raise your hands to praise Jesus, you're really worshiping your own self. And that's That's what's swept across this country where we go to church to worship our own selves in the name of Jesus. And we say, oh, I love Jesus. He's in my heart. And the reality is Jesus isn't in your heart. If he is, he's way back in the recesses of your heart because you've so offended him with your sin and your gross immorality and your love of the world and the idols that you cherish. But you're actually worshiping yourself and you're worshiping your own idea of Jesus and your own concept of Jesus and you're worshiping your own philosophy of Jesus and you're salving your conscience for your sin and trying to make yourself feel good about yourself by going and raising your hands up and wiggling your butt in front of everybody and telling everybody how much you love Jesus. And it ain't true. It's serving, the, it's serving idols, religious idols. You, the, and the problem was, for some of us, we, we begin by turning from our idols to serve the living and true God. But over time and with this wicked world all around us and the vexation that it offers, we begin to serve ourselves. We begin to serve religion. We begin to serve the local church instead of serving Jesus Christ. And that shift is deadly. The Thessalonican church had boots on their faith and they were serving the living God. The Bible says, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that we do should be done in the name of Jesus Christ. Go to Genesis chapter 39 today, and we're going to look at a man who will teach us about service. A man who will teach us about serving God, what it means to actually serve God. You see, serving God doesn't mean that you're going to have your own private Learjet in a five-piece suit and you're going to get to preach in stadiums to 75,000 people. Now, if God raises you up to such a point that God himself is using you in such a way and it's actually of the Lord, I have absolutely nothing against Learjets. I've got nothing against five-piece suits and I've got nothing against 75,000 people coming to hear the gospel. I'm all for that, and I'm for you if God will use you in that way. But that ain't the way God uses most people. How many of you have figured that out already? Most people are not D.L. Moody's. 
Most people don't get used in that kind of a way. Most people are grunts. Most of us are just the grunts. Jesus said, he that would be greatest among you, let him be the least. And he that would be your um, ruler, rough paraphrase, let him be your servant. Let him be your servant. Jesus himself, on the night that he broke bread with the disciples before he suffered, he took a towel and girded himself, and he went from one disciple to the next disciple, washing the feet of the disciples. And he says, as ye have seen me do so, you um, do ye likewise. He says, this is what I want you to do. And that's a rough paraphrase. I'm telling the story, but you can look it up for yourself and read it verbatim from the word of God, perfectly preserved, inspired, infallible. The word of God. Now, um, Jesus himself served. Jesus said, he that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that abaseth himself shall be exalted. So you say, well, I'm going to take the, the little job. I'm going to do the worst job so that tomorrow I'll get the best job, and then it doesn't pan out, and it exposes your false motives when you're grumpy because you did all those menial tasks in the name of Jesus, and you never did get the, the high seat in the front page spot. And now you're all upset with God and grumpy, and you quit your work. Well, you just proved you weren't serving God to begin with. You were serving your own self, and your attempts to um, do the menial tasks to be the greatest are actually just an Ananias and Sapphira play to try and get attention and try and get people to think of you more highly than they ought, like you do, because you think of yourself more highly than than you ought to think. Now here in Genesis 39, we have Joseph, and Joseph was um, beloved of his father. If you um, glance back at Genesis 37, Joseph was beloved of his father, and in this he was a type of Jesus Christ. His brothers hated him, which was also a type of Jesus Christ. Let's look at that in 37 a little bit before we jump into 39. Genesis 37. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now that'll be significant later, because Judah was a son of Leah, and Judah would eventually stick up for him. These sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, these were some rough guys. All the sons of Joseph were some rough guys, but the sons of the concubines were especially rough. And they hated Joseph because he brought this evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. So Joseph here is a type of Jesus Christ who was beloved of his father, who, who according to the flesh was born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem and therefore a brother of the men of Israel and no better than them in that sense. But underneath the coat of many colors, Joseph's um, special, the fact that Joseph was special was based on his father's love for him. And underneath the carpenter's garb of that um, man, of that young man growing up in Nazareth and learning to be a carpenter alongside his stepdaddy, Joseph, who was only a surrogate father. He was not his father in reality, for God himself was the father of Jesus Christ. Underneath that rough carpenter's garb, um, Jesus Christ was beloved of his father. God said of Jesus Christ, 
Christ, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that just absolutely rankled the older brothers, so to speak, of Jesus Christ, the other men of Israel, specifically the ruling class who felt like they had a right to tell Jesus what to do and that Jesus should have asked their permission before he started his ministry. And they never did get over that. Because Jesus just up and started his ministry when God told him to, and he followed orders from God and not from denominational headquarters, and they just couldn't hack it. It made them spitting mad. And it didn't matter how much good Jesus did and how much truth Jesus preached. They never could get over their envy of Jesus because he hadn't gone through them and gotten their little rubber stamp in order to do the ministry that God had called him to do. Now, Joseph here didn't go through his brothers either. He had a relationship directly with his father. And he spoke directly with his father. And in fact, he even tattled on his brethren to his father. And they hated him for that. They wanted to stand in between Joseph and his father, but they couldn't get there. And the more they hated him, apparently, the more Joseph's daddy loved him. And verse 5 says, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. Now, Joseph was given divine revelation. This dream wasn't just a dream. This dream told the future, and Jesus Christ came with divine revelation. And Joseph here is a shadow, a picture of Jesus Christ who came with divine revelation and his brethren hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words as it says as you read on down. Now Jesus came preaching in parables like dreams. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And look what the Bible says that Joseph told his brother, his brethren. He said, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheave arose and also stood upright. We won't get into all that right now. But here was a divine revelation through a parable. And Jesus came and preached in parables. Joseph's parable, his dream was not received by his brethren. And Jesus Christ's parables were not received by his brethren. So here is a picture of Jesus Christ, Joseph. He's serving God the Father. He loves God. Now Joseph was beloved of his physical father, but he was also beloved of Jesus Christ's father in heaven because Joseph believed in God and Joseph had faith in God. Now, with a little bit of that backdrop about Joseph, let's go to chapter 39. And here in chapter 39, Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him out of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. Now, something had happened between Genesis 37 and Genesis 39. And what happened was Joseph's brothers hated him because of his dreams and because of his words. It wasn't as much even that their father loved him more that they hated him. The Bible clearly tells us they hated him for his dreams and for his words. And here, as a preacher of righteousness, as a preacher of the truth, Joseph was hated. His brothers conspired against him. They grabbed him. They threw him in a pit. They took his coat of many colors and dipped it in the blood of one of their animals they were supposed to be taking care of that they stole from their father to do, to do this dirty deed. And they took the coat to the father and they said, is not this Joseph's coat? And he said, it is Joseph's coat. He is without a doubt torn in pieces. And there you have another type of Jesus Christ in that Jesus was dead to his father when he became sin for us. And the father of Joseph um, perceived that Joseph was dead when he saw the coat um, dipped in the blood. 
And so he turned his face away from Joseph. He did not go find Joseph. He did not deliver Joseph from the pit um, right away. But later he would be reconciled with Joseph and he would accept and receive Joseph again. Another picture of Jesus Christ, who when Jesus Christ was on the cross, the father turned his face away from him. The father forsook him on the cross because of his sin and the coat dipped in blood um, (coughs) brought separation separation to in that sense to between the father and Jesus Christ but they would be reunited one day now Joseph down in Egypt land was sent there by his brothers he was sold into slavery by his brothers and here we're going to depart from talking about the types so much of Joseph and Jesus Christ and we're going to look at the service that Joseph served God with Joseph was a servant of the most high God as we've already seen and down here he is in Egypt, and he's bought by Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, um, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. Now here we see that Joseph is in a strange land. And as Christians, the Bible says that we are strangers and pilgrims in this land. Joseph is bought by a man who had no right to buy him and sold by men who had no right to sell him. He's sold by the Ishmaelites to an Egyptian. And these men have no right and no part and no ability to even tell him what to do. Now, as Christians, we are part of the kingdom of God already. We are part of the kingdom of heaven. And God said, Jesus Christ said that the children of the kingdom of God have no need to pay tribute. But he told Peter, nevertheless, pay them lest you offend them. Do you hear me today? So as Christians, we have no reason um, in a, as far as our position in Christ, because we have a heavenly kingdom and a heavenly home, we have no reason as Christians to have to serve the nations of this world and to obey them. But yet the Bible tells us to obey them for conscience sake and so that we do not hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's a greater purpose that causes us to obey the government. We do not obey the government as Christians because the government has has the right to tell us what to do. We obey the government so that we're not an offense to them so that we can take the gospel of Jesus Christ to them so that they can be saved because we know that our Jesus is King of Kings and he is Lord of Lords and he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. So we do not obey the nations because out of um, compulsion. We do not obey the nations because we have to obey the nations. We obey the laws of the land because we are um, trying to work as much as possibly at peace with all men so that we can carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. So here was Joseph in a strange land like we are, sold under the hand of men who had no right to tell him what to do. And that's often what the Christian finds himself in the same exact situation under the hand of cruel masters or even of good masters, but nevertheless under masters. And if we are, the the apostle Paul said, if you are called being free, then are you the Lord's bondman? And if you are called as a bondman, you are the Lord's free man. The apostle Paul made it clear that in Christ, there is neither bond nor free, neither Jew nor Greek, neither male nor female. There's not one man that's better than the other men. There's not, there's not a governmental system that can really be, have any direct authority over the servant of Jesus Christ. It's all, um, indirect and by, um, permission. 
that the servant of Jesus Christ allows those men to have any kind of say in his life because he serves the Lord Jesus Christ. But he does follow those rules, and here Joseph followed those rules. Joseph obeyed Potiphar. He went down and was subject to him. Joseph could have tried to run away, but he didn't. And verse 2 says, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master of the Egyptian. And here we are as born-again Christians in the house of our masters, the Egyptians. The world that's around us, the world that we live in. Jesus said, I pray not that the Father should take thee out of the world, but that he should keep thee from evil. He said that there's going to be tribulations that come. He said there's going to be trials that come. He says there's going to be problems that come. But he said, fear not, for I have overcome the world. And Paul told us that we can suffer all things through Jesus Christ. He says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And the context of that is not winning a football game, by the way. The context of that verse is suffering persecution for the name of Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. This applies to the martyr standing in the Colosseum as the angry lion is released from a cage to devour the young lady. And this is something that has happened in truth. And there's a particular young lady that I was thinking of. I can't remember her name. And she was put in the Colosseum. We just read of her and they released angry bulls into the, st- into the Colosseum. Well, the whole crowd watched to see her break and to see her scream in terror. And she stood and sang praises to Jesus Christ. And that angry bull came and threw her in the air and broke the bones of her body. And she stood up broken and bruised and continued to sing praises to Jesus Christ. And that is the application of that verse. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. The apostle Paul himself was stoned for preaching the gospel. And they drug him outside the city, supposing he had been dead. But the apostle Paul who wrote those words by inspiration of the Holy Ghost got up out of the stones and walked back into the city to preach the gospel. Now I know our snowflake society thinks that they were throwing little pebbles and little sandstones at the apostle Paul and they think that it amounted to nothing more than dust and if you look at a children's book they'll probably have Paul with a couple little scrape marks on him standing in a pile of pebbles. That's not what a stoning was in those days. These guys knew how to kill with rocks. They'd fought with rocks for thousands of years. Slingers were still a thing. They used slingers to sling stones at soldiers, and it was... The mod, it was the bullet of the day. This was the firing squad that had taken Paul out to execute him, and they knew how to kill people with rocks. They would use the little rocks and throw them fast and hard to break down the defenses and to break the hands and the arms of the people they were killing. And then once they got them um, defenseless where their arms were broken down, in came the big rocks, the crushing rocks. And they would throw them with all their strength at the person they were trying to kill. And that's what they did to Paul. And he should have been dead, dead, dead. The people thought he was dead. And these were not people who were used to watching Hollywood westerns. These were people who were used to executing justice themselves. They knew how to kill people. They knew what people could take. They knew what the human body could take. And they knew what dead people looked like. And they supposed Paul had been dead. And they drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. And they left him there for dead. And and then Paul stood up. 
And he could have said right then and there, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And he went back into the city to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And here Joseph is down in Egypt. He's sold into slavery. But instead of getting bitter, he plows forward. The Bible says he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Joseph got busy. Now this serving the Lord Jesus Christ, this serving the Lord business that the church of the Thessalonians was all about, um, here for Joseph, it didn't involve a pulpit. It didn't involve a pulpit committee. It didn't involve a pastor's office with a desk and a, and a mahogany chair. Joseph's ministry that he was given was to be a slave. And the church at Thessalonica had a ministry, and their ministry was to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in a town full of angry people that hated their guts and was persecuting them. And they served the Lord with such grace and power that the gospel was sounded out from them throughout all of Macedonia and Achaia and in every part, the apostle Paul said. Here Joseph, it says in verse 4, found grace in his sight. Look at Genesis 39 verse 4 and tell me what the Bible says Joseph did. Genesis 39 and verse 4. Hurry up. You should have been there already. Genesis 39 and verse 4. What does it say that Joseph did? And he served him. Joseph served Potiphar, a man who had no right to even have ever bought him. And he bought him from people who had no right to sell him. And he was bought by those people of his own brothers who had no right to sell him either. But yet Joseph served this man. And this man Potiphar, it says, and he made him overseer over his house and all that he had put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat and Joseph was a goodly person and well favored so here Joseph is working hard in the house of his Egyptian master and serving him in the Egyptian's house now you say well he was serving the Egyptian he wasn't serving the Lord but we're going to see here um, proof of who he was really serving and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do? You better be following along here, because I'm going to read this wrong, and you better catch it. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against my master? Who caught it? Is that what he said? No, what did he say? How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? There it is. Joseph understood jurisdiction. Joseph understood that God had put him under that master. That God is the one that had given him that job to do. And he served that master because he was serving God. And this is the key. Joseph was not serving that man for temporal advancement. Joseph was not serving that man for a raise or a better salary or a house in the suburbs. Joseph was serving that man because 
he recognized that God had put him there for a purpose. So when the temptation came, Joseph was able to overcome the temptation because he was serving God. The Bible says, and it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. And there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them saying, see, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until her, his Lord came home. Now, the Bible here says that his Lord was on the way home until his Lord came home. But who was Joseph's real Lord? His Lord was God Almighty, which is um, Jesus Christ, though he knew him not by that name. And she spake unto him, that's Joseph's physical Lord, and she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me, and it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which, he, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound and he was there in prison now if joseph had been serving potiphar joseph would have been broken if joseph's allegiance had been to potiphar if if as potiphar had advanced joseph and promoted joseph and joseph was now a big shot as he said to potiphar's wife he says that he was master over all of his master's possessions he said, there's none greater in this house than I, which is, by the way, the, probably the main reason why Potiphar's wife wanted him because um, she was a wicked woman and lusted after his, his authority that she didn't have. Joseph was second in command, not Potiphar's wife. How about that? Anyway, so Joseph was greater in the house than everyone but Potiphar, and Potiphar had kept back his own wife from Joseph but if Joseph had looked at his position and his advancement as a gift from that man, if he had been serving that man, if he had gone and said, I'm going to serve this man and I'm going to be the best servant this man's ever got and this man's going to see how good I am to him and someday whenever I've, got, whenever I've earned his admiration and his respect and I've served him for many years, I'm going to ask him to send me back and maybe he'll send me back. Now maybe those thoughts entered Joseph's mind. But never in Joseph's time did he allow his heart to begin to serve Potiphar. His heart served Jesus Christ. And because his heart was serving God, he served Potiphar. And because he was serving God and serving Potiphar, he was promoted to a great position. But God had a bigger plan for Joseph. And the bigger plan for Joseph involved humbling Joseph even further. Joseph had passed the first test. Joseph served God when his brothers hated him. <clears throat> and God allowed Joseph to be exalted above his brothers in his father's house. 
But his brothers got angry and lied on Joseph and sold him to the Ishmaelites. And that was a big test. If Joseph had been serving his daddy, he would have broken right there. But because Joseph was serving God at home, Joseph began began to serve God in Potiphar's house. And do you know what? I'll guarantee you, Joseph served those Ishmaelites as much as he could while they drug him in chains down to Egypt because Joseph was a servant. Joseph was a servant, and he would become greatest of all. So Joseph passed the first test um, and was exalted above his brethren. So then God said, all right, um, you've passed this test. I'm going to give you another one. And he made Joseph's servant to Potiphar. And Joseph served Potiphar and became greater than anyone else in Potiphar's house. And at the time of the the moment when he could have seized upon his, his advancement, and he could have taken advantage of his advancement for personal gain, he could have tried to sneak out he could have stolen a chariot and some money and tried to go back he could have done all kinds of things and ultimately he could have had Potiphar's very own wife and he could have conspired against Potiphar all kinds of opportunities were there but instead he served Potiphar and at that time God allowed Potiphar's wife to lie on Joseph and he finds himself in prison Well, that's not how this world teaches. That's not what this world teaches that you're supposed to get for serving Jesus. You're supposed to get a better house. You're supposed to get a better car. You're supposed to have a savings account and a 401k. But the reality is that when you serve Jesus, you'll probably go through a series of debasements. You'll go through a series of tests. You'll go through a series of humiliations. You'll go through a series of persecutions. Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. If you are truly a servant of Christ, then when things go wrong in this life, you will serve the Lord Jesus Christ even when things are wrong. And that's what Joseph had done. And now he finds himself in prison. So let's look at him in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph, verse 21, and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. (coughs) Excuse me. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. So there in the prison, Joseph began to serve. And when Joseph began to serve again, the same thing happened in the prison that had happened before the other two times and Joseph was promoted again. And here Joseph again could have tried to find a way of escape. Joseph could have tried to make his life better. Joseph could have tried to use it for personal gain. But instead Joseph served in the prison. And Joseph's service was not to the prison warden. It was to the Lord God. Chapter 40. And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers against the chief of the butler and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison the place where joseph was bound and the captain of the guard charged joseph with them and he served them and they continued a season in ward 
And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream. Now, without getting into these dreams and exactly what they were, Joseph here interpreted their dreams, which God had given him that gift all the way back in the beginning of the story of Joseph. And Joseph interpreted their dreams and told them, whenever Pharaoh gets you out of here, remember me and tell Pharaoh about me. And Pharaoh brought both of them out on the third day, just like Joseph had said, and just like Joseph said he hanged the baker but the butler he put back in his position and restored him to his office and the bible says there in chapter 40 verse 23 yet did not the chief butler remember joseph but forgot him now did haven't there been men that have said that the number 40 in the bible is a, is a number of testing i can't remember exactly that might be but in any case, here's chapter 40, and here's Joseph being forgotten in the prison. Now, of all the things that can happen to you, being forgotten is one of the most difficult things. Um, for people that you have loved and you have, you have served and you've tried to do the right thing for them, and they forget you, that is one of the hardest things. And here was Joseph in the prison. He was serving in the prison. This was his third assignment. His third assignment. You would have thought that after the first test, God would have been, all right, you're good to go, and put him in his life work. But no, he had a second test. And after the second test, um, there with Potiphar's wife, you would have thought, this will be it. God's going to give me my life work. He's going to give me my life ministry. But no, there was another debasement, another, another time to be humiliated and humbled. And he was sent to prison. And there in prison, he, um, there in prison, he served again. He served the people that were around him, but he wasn't serving the people themselves. He was serving the people because he was serving God. And as he served God and did everything right, kept his attitude right and served these people, he was forgotten. He was forgotten. In the world, you shall have tribulation. And there he is serving in the prison. By the way, what kind of jobs do you expect that you get in a prison? What kind of jobs do you think you'll get? Let me see. I'm going to work in an ancient prison. Um, all right, prison warden, I need a job here. Let me see. Can I have a sword and a shield, and can I sit up front at, behind the desk? Wait, no, you're just a prisoner. What job can you do? You can change out these slot buckets where the prisoners go to the bathroom. Oh, and in the prison cells over there where we didn't ever put in slot buckets because we didn't care about those poor creatures in there, they've made a real mess. They've gone to the bathroom all over the floor. Joseph, you can clean that up. Get that out of there. This place is stinking. There's so many flies. You can go clean up the garbage and the poop and the pee. Oh, look over there. You've got a prisoner over there, Joseph. He's, he's laying over there vomiting. He's got dysentery, and now it's coming out both ends. What a mess. This guy's in trouble. Uh, but we don't really care about him. But Joseph, since you want a job, why don't you go take care of him? Can't you see Joseph kneeling in the straw by a sick prisoner who is maybe a murderer? Maybe he, maybe he raped somebody. He's a no good nobody. The whole world hates this man. He's been thrown in jail. Nobody cares about him. And there's Joseph kneeling down in the straw behind, beside that sick man, cleansing him, washing him, bathing his head, taking care of him, helping him get all better. And then there's Joseph moving to the next prison cell. And when you find Joseph talking to the butler and the baker, he walks in there. And they weren't they weren't feeling so good that day. Look at look at what it says. Look at what Joseph says. Joseph came in unto them, this is verse six, in the morning, and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. It's jail. Everybody's sad. Not in Joseph's jail. 
Do you hear me today? They were sad. People weren't sad in Joseph's jail. Joseph noticed they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? And he cared about them. And he asked them what their troubles were. And he took time to listen to them. And he ministered to their needs right there in the jail cell. And he took as much time and care for them as if they were Pharaoh himself. And these men were basically on death row, hated by Pharaoh. He says, wherefore are ye sad? Isn't that amazing? And then what did, what did he ask them to do? Look at verse 14. But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show me kindness. Now, was he asking too much? He wasn't asking them for money. He wasn't asking them for position. He wasn't asking them to do any favor other than to do for him what he had done for them. And what did they do? They went off and forgot him. And by the way, when you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, people are going to forget you. And if you are serving people instead of Christ, if you are serving religion instead of Christ, it's going to end in sadness. You're going to burn out because you're not going to get noticed. You are going to get forgotten. Most of you, most of the time, will get forgotten you'll do that good deed for somebody and they will forget you did you know that you might even be the guy get this you might even be the guy that helps the guy get promoted and you get left behind get that boy that's enough to make most people pull all their hair out and scream Joseph here tells this guy, it's going to be all right. You're going to get promoted. When you do get promoted, think about me. This guy is in jail. He deserves to be in jail. Joseph is in jail and doesn't deserve to be in jail. This guy's in jail being served by the guy that doesn't deserve to be in jail. He's being served by a guy that God has promised will be part of the greatest nation on the face of the earth. There's supposed to be kings and princes coming out of the loins of Abraham. And Joseph is now a servant in the jail, changing out these guys' straw, getting the fleas out, killing the bed bugs, feeding them food, and fixing their porridge in the morning and whatever else he's got to do. And he helps this guy and he encourages this guy. And this guy gets promoted back to his position. And Joseph is sitting and rotting in the dungeon for about another couple years. And while he sits there in the dungeon, if he had been trying to serve people, he would be mad. It says in chapter 41, and it came to pass at the end of two full years. Two years he sat there. And the one that he helped, the one that was in ignominy and reproach, and he encouraged him and he strengthened him and he helped him for the day that he would stand before Pharaoh and gave him faith to take another step. That man is now standing in rich apparel, eating good food every day, sleeping on a good bed, and Joseph is still sitting there rotting in jail. And who was the one that helped raise that butler back up? It was Joseph. And that butler forgot about him and moved on. When you serve Jesus Christ, you'll often be forgotten. And this was Joseph's third great test to be forgotten. To be, instead of promoted for doing good, to be forgotten for doing good. And he did not think on Joseph. He did not show kindness to Joseph. 
And then Joseph got noticed by Pharaoh in chapter 41. And we've got, we've got to finish this thing up. Um, there's still a little bit more we need to see in the life of Joseph here. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. And there you have the dreams of Pharaoh. You can check those out for yourself. Um, and the Pharaoh was troubled by these dreams. Nobody could interpret them. And, oh, I remember that, that servant, that Hebrew in the prison, he, he told me my dream. And the butler told Pharaoh, I remember this guy in the prison. He told me my dream and it came true. And he told me, he told the baker his dream and it came true. The good dream came true and the bad dream came true. So this guy, he's not just um, guessing that you'll win the lucky lottery numbers. This guy's telling you the facts. This is somebody you can trust. And verse 14 says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came into Pharaoh. And all the time in Egypt, what was Joseph's desire of his heart? What did he want to do? If Joseph had gotten to do what he wanted to do, what would he have done? He would have gone home. He did not want to be the chief butler of the prison. He did not want to be Potiphar's second in command. He did not want to be any of these things. He just wanted to go home with his daddy and with his brother who his heart yearned for. And here he is being rushed into Pharaoh's presence. Chapter 41, verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of prison. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have dreamed a dream. Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Joseph was told the dream by Pharaoh. Verse 25, Joseph tells Pharaoh what the dream is and that God is the revealer of dreams. And he tells Pharaoh what's going to happen. And then he tells Pharaoh how to protect the nation and the world from starvation um, through this program of saving up corn. And guess what happens? And by, by the way, before we guess what happens, that service. Joseph didn't just tell him the dream. As Joseph had heard the dream from God, Joseph was revealed by God. God revealed to Joseph a plan that would circumvent the tragedy that was going to happen in all of these people's lives, um, perishing in their hunger. And Joseph served Pharaoh by telling him a plan to get through this whole ordeal. And I can just see the light in Joseph's eyes as he's thinking, as soon as I finish telling him this plan, maybe he'll say thank you. Maybe he'll say, what can I do for you? And I'm going to say, just give me some sandals and a staff and point me in the right direction because I'm going home. I want to be back with my dad. I want to be back with my brothers. And he gets done saying, um, here's the plan that the land perish not through the famine. Look at verse 37. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house. And according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. Now in the humanist mind, this advancement to second command of Egypt would be a glorious position and something to be desired. But in Joseph's mind and heart, I promise you, all he wanted to do was to go home. All he wanted to do was to be with his family. But there were now two things um, Two things that he thought of, I'm sure. Number one, this famine would destroy his family's livelihood. 
and they needed somebody to serve them. The very people that had hurt him the most needed him now to serve them while they didn't even know he was serving them. And they needed him to keep them alive even while they didn't know he was working for their well-being. They needed him sitting over the, over the horizon in Egypt, out of sight, out of mind, working himself nearly into the ground to keep them alive without them even knowing about it. And here Joseph again takes on the servants, um, girds his loins as a servant and sets about to serve his family and to serve the country that has imprisoned him and to work as a slave in Pharaoh's house. Now, I know we see the promotion here as a good thing. Now he would get good food. Now people would be under him. Now he would have respect. But nevertheless, he could not do what he wanted to do. And you will find his life ends in the service of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's house. And Joseph ended his life still a slave. Now, his position as a slave was one of great honor and great respect, but you find him asking Pharaoh permission if he can even go back to bury his father. And then he says, I will come again to you. And Pharaoh or Joseph spent the rest of his life serving the people that had hurt him the most. We've got to wrap this up. But Joseph had two children in this land. I didn't write down the reference for that, Ephraim and Manasseh. And Pastor Reggie has a great sermon on birthing a Manasseh, on forgetting the offenses that have been done to you. And one of those, um, there they are in verse 51 and 41, chapter 41. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God said, He hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. God will use you mightily as long as you are willing to serve. Joseph, his whole life was uprooted. Everything was changed, and he became a servant, and that never changed. This story gets told wrong. Do you hear me, honey? This story gets told wrong. It gets told like Joseph finally hit the jackpot and and got the dream job. That wasn't Joseph's dream job. Joseph wanted to live the life of a free Bedouin farmer on the in the land of Canaan with his daddy tending sheep and sitting under the tent and eating pottage of lentils. He wasn't interested in all the riches of Egypt. It wasn't what his life was about. But instead of living for himself, Joseph lived a life of service and he served everyone that came into his life and then he died a servant's death and when he died the very he was buried in uh, or his bones were preserved there in the land of Egypt and there was a great mourning for him and the very people who had been his worst enemies were those that gathered around him when he died and thanked God for his very life and this is what God has called us to do this is what um, God called the what made the church of Thessalonica so powerful was that they were a church that served the living and true God. They turned from their idols. And when they turned from their idols, they put on their boots of service. They put boots on their faith and they served the people around them in every capacity of life, whether whether they were working as a carpenter or whether they were a preacher or whatever they were doing, they served the Lord Jesus Christ in every part of their life. And this is what, what will make your church successful uh, and give Um, reality to your faith to those that are around you beyond you living in the direct application of your position in Christ 
taking that position in Christ and in spite of your position in Christ, humbling yourself and becoming a servant and taking the least position and every time, everywhere you go in life, taking opportunity to share the love and faith of Jesus Christ as you serve people, not for your betterment or your advancement, but for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, please give us servant hearts today. Help us to serve the living and true God. Help us, Lord God, to quit looking for advancement. Help us to quit looking for personal betterment. Help us to quit looking, Lord God, for security and financial security and stability and all these things that this world offers that are fleeting, Lord, and that the world can't even really guarantee to us. And help us to abandon, Lord God, our own hopes and dreams and desires for the service of the people that you have put us in contact with Help us to serve everyone we meet, Lord God, and Lord, to carry the gospel everywhere we go. In Jesus' holy name, amen.